0: Turn with me please, we've got a Bible, if not, there's some in the, I was going to say the pews in front of you, but in the seat in front of you, but it'll also come up there on the screen, just for, for any visitors, we're um, working our way through the, the book of Genesis. Um, we started, which seemed an eternity ago, um, but we did have quite a long break, and uh, we've picked it up again, and uh, we're w- we reading this evening from... Genesis 23, picking up from, obviously, where we looked at last week, Genesis 22. Let's read Genesis 23. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kirith Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so that I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so that he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron, the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abram in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city, No, my lord, listen to me. I, I give you this field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury, you're dead. Again, Abram bowed down before the people of the land, and, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me. If you will, I, I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me, so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, "Listen to me, my lord. The, the land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? But bury your dead." Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, four hundred shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So. Ephraim's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was legally made over to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterwards, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. It says, the word of God, we thank him for it and pray his blessing, not just upon the reading, but our understanding as we come to look at the passage just in a little while. We're going to pray and ask for God's help as we come to, to this passage. Father, we, we just remind ourselves that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and training and correcting. And as we come to, to this passage, Lord, which at first might not seem to have much to say to us, Lord, we, we, we just pray that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and would bless it to us, would encourage us, if we need encouraged, with challenges; if we need challenged, but Lord would above all encourage us, help us. We pray, speaker, and hearer alike, in Jesus' name, Amen. If your Bible, if you're following along and reading the Bible, if you had your Bible open, uh, there's a good chance that that the heading above the chapter that that we just read as likely as mine does, to say the death of Sarah. Yet as we read the passage, and as I studied this week, the verses actually seem to say very little about the death of Sarah. It's mentioned in verse 2, and it closes in verse 19 with her burial. Yeah, important as this event is, and, and we'll look at it, it would seem from the amount of space it's given to, in the rest of the chapter that there is something else that the writer has in focus. Because most of the passage is, is taken up with, with the kind of discussion and the purchasing of the cave and of the land, and, and so we can't ignore that, and, and we won't, so we'll, we will look at it. We're going to look at it, or look at the passage under three quite simple headings. And as I said, we pray that God will help us understand. Firstly, we're going to read, or we do read, of Abraham mourning. Abraham mourning. Over the past couple of weeks, as we've looked at at Genesis 22 and Genesis 21, We have noted Abram, if you like, being caught up in events that really are quite distressing. A couple of weeks back, we we noticed that, that he was told by God to send Ishmael on his way. Then he was told by God to go and sacrifice his son, his only son, the son whom he loves, Isaac. And we see that he comes through both of these trying and difficult times that none of us would like to face. Then we come to chapter 23. And in chapter 23 we are told, albeit briefly, about the death of his wife. Which is a very (coughs) traumatic, testing, emotionally heartbreaking time. For any man or for any woman and the loss of her husband to go through. It would seem that Abraham and Sarah had been married for a minimum, for a minimum of 62 years. That there were, we are told there were 10 years of, of a difference between them. Abraham was 75 when he left his home, way back in Genesis 12 which meant Sarah was 65, and as she died, 127, you can do the math yourself, then you'll see that for at least 62 years. They were married. We don't know how long, but certainly for at least that. And what an eventful, (laughs) however many years it was. Journeying, traveling, different countries, Secret and not-so-secret packs, family problems, family issues, family joys, the whole mix and match, the whole ups and downs of married life has kind of laid bare to us from Genesis 12 onwards. Yet as we reach chapter 23, we read of it all coming to an end. And we see something of the hurt and the loss that Abraham experienced. Because we read, he went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. See, friends, you cannot share that amount of time with somebody. You cannot go through all of life's ups and downs with them. Without upon their death, mourning and weeping for them. And it is one of life's certainties that all of us, without exception, we will all at one time and from time to time face the death of a loved one. And it's not wrong to mourn and to weep over them. And while it is true that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not mourn as others mourn if the one who died is a believer. Nonetheless, we still mourn. We still grieve. We still shed tears. And Abraham shows us that here. We should never not we should never encourage someone not to shed tears. And when we move into the New Testament and when we look at the life of the Lord Jesus, we also see him standing over the graveside of a loved one weeping when his friend Lazarus died. And what is probably the shortest yet one of the most deeply profound verses I think and in the Bible, we read in John 11, verse 35, two little words. Jesus wept. And the pain of bereavement is real. And many of you don't need me to tell you that. And weeping is part of the grief process. Abraham loved. His wife. And her death was a painful experience. Do you know why her pain? Because death is horrible. And no matter how much we try to dress it up, it is a horrible thing. We can't change it. You cannot spend the amount of time that Abraham did with Sarah, and go through the things that they went through in their married life together without it, without it when it ending, bringing tears and pain and sorrow. And mourning, including weeping, is a natural response to the loss of a loved one. And Abraham here shows both his love and his grief by weeping. One writer, one commentator, makes the observation, I don't have time to check right back through, so I'll take his word for it, he makes the observation that these are the first recorded tears in the Bible. And what it shows us is that tears, mourning and death, is and will be, be part and parcel of life until, as Revelation 21, 4 promises, God one day will wipe them all away because in the new heaven, there will be no more death and no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain. Mourning and weeping over a loved one who has died is not, and I repeat, not a sign of unbelief. It is a sign of love. And to love much is to miss much. And a Psalm 34, 18 reminds us, the Lord, the Lord is close to the broken heart. It seems to me that Sarah was a woman of faith. She had her faults just like her husband did. and We all fall into that bracket. But she was a woman of faith. And so Abraham would have taken great comfort from the fact that she was now in the care of the Lord. And while it's true that in the Old Testament, There is not a great deal that is revealed about life after death. And and, and let me just say that death is not the end. Nowhere does the Bible speak of annihilation. Nowhere. Hmm. However, in the Old Testament, there are glimpses of life after death. Of God receiving his own to himself. In Psalm 73 verse 24, for instance, we read these words. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. And of course, we live this side of Calvary, we live this side of the resurrection. We have the great comfort, the great assurance that one day we will see again those whom we love that have died in the Lord. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They will rest from their labor, for their deed will follow them. What a comfort that is. And in the words one of the old hymns that I love so well, and when I'm in the house, I won't put it on YouTube and sing out loud. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one's bringing. Glorious Saviour, this Jesus is mine. Is he yours? This is the hope that Abraham had. It is a hope and it's the assurance that I have. What about you? You see, death comes to us all. And the question of where will you spend eternity is the most important question and the most important decision that anybody will ever, ever make? Is it going to be heaven with Sarah and Abraham and David and Jacob and Luther and Calvin and all who have died believing in Jesus Christ? Or is it going to be in hell which is eternal separation? Abraham mourning. As I said earlier, as I was preparing this week, I really was quite surprised. Been a of space that was given to the dialogue regarding the purchasing of the burial cave and land. So let me try and tackle what I think that is about. So secondly, let's read of Abraham purchasing. Immediately following the death of his wife, Abraham is now faced with that most difficult of tasks. He's got to arrange the funeral. Uh, And while over the years, others close to him must have died, this is different. This is his wife. He wanted a tomb. He wanted a grave for Sarah that would be, as one writer says, known, recognized, and revered. The problem was that Abraham did not own any land. Yes, God had promised it to him. But kind of in the here and now, in this particular situation, that would be pretty difficult to prove to those who already owned it. And so he approaches the Hittites who did own it and he asks to buy some property for a burial site. As many of you will be well aware, the whole question of the land was one of the most significant aspects of the covenant agreement, and for many it still is today. And while it seems that Abraham, as we follow him through Genesis, is kind of prepared to wait for the land to come to him in God's time, uh, there is a need right now. His wife needs to be laid to rest. So as was the custom of the time, he approaches those who owned the land, the Hittites, acknowledging that he's an alien and a stranger, not the best kind of bargaining position to be in. And he asks them to sell him some property. And notice the response. They, they acknowledge that Abraham is a mighty prince. A little bit of what we were thinking on this morning. What a good testimony it is. What, what a testimony this man had. They knew what he stood for. They, they acknowledge him as a mighty prince and they offer him whatever property he wants free of charge. Now, majority has been good Scots people. I guess that we would all jump at that. But Abraham knew what he wanted. He wanted one, as, as the verse says, at the end of the field. He did not want one of their choicest ones. That that, that would have been situated among all the others. But he wanted one at the end of the field. And he was willing to pay the full price. You know, it's good, it's right, and it's proper. We all like a bargain. But it's good, it's right, and it's proper to be above board in all of our dealings. And as would have it, Ephron who owned the cave that Abraham wanted was present. And he offers it free of charge. But again, Abraham insists on paying the right price. And Ephraim, seeing an opportunity, mentions well worth 400 shekels of silver. Actually, which most commentators agree was well over the asking price. He paid well over the asking price. Why didn't Abraham just accept it free of charge? Well, that that could have meant further down the line that Ephraim's heirs could have reclaimed it. But now it was his. Now it was his. And little by little attachments to the land that was promised are being established. But here it's only what is necessary to buy to sorry to bury Sarah. I think in buying this, Abraham is also making a statement of faith. He did not want to take Sarah back to their former home. That, that was the kind of custom of the time. He wanted to bury her in the land that God had promised to give him. It's a statement of faith. God had promised to give him the land, promised to give him, give, give it to his descendants. And he was in this purchasing Indicating his unswerving commitment to God's promises to give him the land. And in his purchasing, or in the purchasing of it, Abraham was securing a rightful, legal burial site. And it's interesting that when you reach the end of Genesis, Genesis 49, I think it is, you find actually that this tomb is actually quite full. Because along with Sarah buried there, there is also Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca, Leah, and Jacob. I think it was an act, or I believe it was an act of faith and purchasing. Abraham mourning. Abraham purchasing. And finally, let's know We read there. Verse 19 of Abraham burying. All verse 19 tells us is that afterwards, that is, after the purchasing, Abraham buried his wife in the cave. It all seems, doesn't it, so final? And, and in many ways, it is. I always find that time, in between someone dying, and and amidst all the the making of the arrangements, they're running about, they're doing this, they're doing that. I always feel that f- the the finality of death doesn't really sink in until the funeral, until the burial, and and for me that is one of the most distressing parts there is as I said there is a finality about it and after Abraham buried his wife Sarah uh, we we, and we will see kind of life goes on for Abraham and he begins to make preparations for his son Isaac and he marries again and he's got more children and and as we'll see, God willing, in a few, few weeks' time, he himself at the age of 175 breathed his last and died at a good old age. But we'll come to that whenever we come to it. But as we looked at this passage this evening, as you read, heard it read out, I wonder, maybe you're going to think, what can we learn? Well, we see that, as I said, death is inevitable. See, unless the Lord Jesus returns, then each one of us here at some time will die. The the statistics are impressive. One out of every one will die. It's not wrong to weep and mourn over a loved one that has died. And just like Abraham, in all of our dealings, we have to be open, honest, and above board, even in times of grief. And what the tomb and what the grave, if you like, reminds us is that although death is final, it's not the end. Because the Bible makes clear that it is appointed unto man once to die and then after that, judgment. And friends, the glorious truth of the gospel is that In Jesus, death has been defeated. Jesus, as he himself tells us, is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in him will never die. As I've had to do many times, standing over an open grave. These words that I just quoted there from Jesus and and the reality and and, and the truth of them bring amidst great grief and sorrow, they bring great comfort. Because as you bury and as you lay one to rest, You know that one day that body will rise again to newness of life, will be reunited to the soul, and will be forever with the Lord. That's why Paul says in Thessalonians, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And like Abraham, as many of us have done, We can stand at the grave of a loved one who has died knowing for sure that if like Sarah they believed then one day we will see them again. What a hope and what a comfort. Do you know what is the worst experience that I have to do from time to time. It is to stand over the grave of someone who did not believe. Because for them there is no hope. And for them there is and for those left behind there is no comfort. And friends, I, I'm not seeking this evening to be morbid. I'm not seeking to be emotional. I'm not seeking to be frightening. I'm just seeking to be open and honest to God's Word. When your time comes, to be buried. Where will your eternal destiny be? There are only two destinations. One is in heaven with the Lord Jesus where we will forever sing His praises. The other is in a place the Bible calls hell, which is eternal separation. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we once again just acknowledge that we need the Holy Spirit's help to take your word and to speak it into our hearts. Just pray, Lord, for those who are going through that time of grief and mourning. For those whom loss of a loved one is still raw. That just as the psalmist reminds us, even now, you would draw near to them and comfort them and strengthen them and uphold them. But Lord, as we've looked at this passage this evening, we've been faced with reality. And Lord, it's my deepest prayer that each one of us will know what it is to turn to you so that when our time on earth is over, and our work on earth is done, and the role is called up yonder, we'll be there. May that be the case for each one of us, for our eternal destiny, and for your great glory. In Jesus' name we pray.